To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. morning I got up and like I do most mornings in the first hour or so that I'm up, uh, I peruse what's going on in the world around me and uh, grab my phone, look at some of the news feeds, what's happening. And so uh, that's kind of my normal habit, did it again this morning and I got to share some some news with you this morning, all right? Uh, Here's some news from around the world. Afghanistan is not doing very well right now. Uh, It is a huge mess over there, um, super destabilized, and um, they're not sure what the way is to move forward as a country, and so the world is watching to see what happens with Afghanistan. Not far from them, uh, in the Ukraine, uh, tensions are rising between Ukraine and Russia, and everyone is wondering if there's going to be a war, what kind of crisis is going to happen, if any little thing could maybe set it off and everyone is sort of like awaiting that. Um, there's also this thing uh, called COVID-19. I don't know, I just heard about it. But anyway, um, anyway, uh, and we, we've gotten through uh, several sort of uh, waves of it, the latest wave called Omicron. I know you're not supposed to joke, but like it, that one sounded scary. Can we be honest? Like Omicron. I was like, it sounds like a transformer. Uh, it's going to get me. Okay. Um, but everybody's wondering what's going to happen, you know? Like, okay, what's next? And uh, is it going to get better? Isn't it going to get better? What is going to happen? A lot, a lot of hard news. And even, listen, listen, even the Super Bowl this year is hard news, right? Like, honestly, Super Bowl Sunday. Did you know that was Super Bowl Sunday today? Okay, some of you? Like, but do you know who's in the Super Bowl this year? Does anybody? Like, okay, honestly, I want to know for real. Do we have any real, like you real, before this last couple weeks, you were a Bengals fan. Anyone in the room for real? For real? <laughs> Nobody, right? There's, so online you can't see this, but there's no one here who knows the icky shuffle, okay? All right, so some of you are like, icky shuffle, don't even know. Yep, exactly. That's my point. And the Rams, we got any Rams fans? No, wait. Here, here, here's qualitatively. You were a Rams fan while they were in St. Louis. How many? How many? We got a couple? Okay. All right. Good. Go Rams. Good job. All right. You'll be cheering for them. And no one will be cheering for the Bengals apparently in here. Um, that's awesome. So the Super Bowl is even a bit of a downer. And then this is the best news. Best news I heard uh, all, all, all morning was this. <laughs> At the Winter Olympics, 
They're having to postpone some events because of snow. <laughs> I'm serious. Look it up. This is fantastic. Too much wind, too much snow. They're having to postpone some of the skiing events. I'm like, it's the Winter Olympics, you guys. What are we doing here? Um, th- just These are a couple of the headlines this morning. I want to kind of keep it a little bit light because the topic today is a little bit heavy, and, and the topic is about terrible times. Here's what I think. I think we, we are in terrible times. I think we're in terrible times. Now, somebody came up to me afterwards and wanted to debate this after the first service. He's like, ah, you can go outside and look at the mountains. I'm not, I get that. I get that, right? But I'm saying like, there are terrible things happening in the world around us. And we're blind to not see those things if we don't see them. We're living in a fantasy land if we just live in our own little cute bubble called Bozeman and think that everything is hunky-dory in the world around us. Because if you've been paying attention, you would recognize that there are terrible things around us. There are terrible times around us. I'm not trying to fear monger. We've had enough of that for a lifetime, okay? I'm not. But I want us to be acutely aware of the times that we live in as we approach this passage. We're going to be uh, in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. We're going to be 1 through 13. I'm going to break it up into two chunks. Uh, So here is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. Paul says this to Timothy, but mark this, circle this, put an asterisk, highlight it, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last Days. A lot of people have been asking me, are we in the last days? Yes, we are. Why? Well, Paul thought he was in the last days. We're closer, okay? I know, I know you did like your revelation work and you've got some dragon math and you can tell me what day Jesus comes. I can't. I just know we're closer, okay? So there will be terrible times in the last days. People, super encouraging you guys, it's super encouraging. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, i.e. I go to church on Easter and Christmas. Okay, have nothing to do with such people. Whoa, okay. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women. I'm not going to make any comments. I'm just going to keep going. Who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Giannis and Yambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who as far as faith is concerned are rejected but they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So we live in terrible times because Paul points out that there's going to be terrible times in the last days. And it's not just that the times are terrible. It's that he's talking about people here. 
So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about people. Now, I'm probably going to pick on some people, but then I'm going to pick on us, okay? So fair warning, I'm going to pick on some people, but I'm going to pick on us. I'm going to pick on somebody this morning named Vijay Vital Malia. I know, household name, I know, I understand. Vijay Vital Malia. He's this uh, billionaire businessman from India. Uh, he owned the United Breweries and Spirits, owner of the cricket team of India and a Formula One racing team, was known for lavish parties on private yachts, private airplanes, and homes all over the world. His nickname is the King of the Good Times, okay? Vijay is the King of the good times. If you read any articles about him, you'll find a bunch of things in this list that you could probably describe VJ as. He is a lover of money. He boasts about it. He's proud about it. He wants nothing to do with God, and he climbed the corporate tra- chain to become a billionaire, okay? Here's the problem with VJ. VJ is currently facing charges of over $1 billion in fraud and money laundering from 17 banks in India. And he's hiding in a $30 million mansion. You can look this up later today. It's very interesting. Hiding in a $30 million mansion in England. They're trying to extradite him back to India so that he can face his crimes and probably get put in jail for the rest of his life. Life. VJ. VJ is the, the, the king of good times. Maybe we want to hang out with him. But VJ is a picture of what we're talking about here. And can we just get really honest? Like, I want to be really honest, okay? I don't want to play church this morning. I don't want to play. I want to be really honest. We actually kind of love this stuff. We kind of eat it for breakfast. Like we love celebrity culture. Okay, I'm gonna lose some people here, but just stay with me. The Paul brothers, okay? I see some younger heads like, uh uh-huh, he's going there. Okay, yeah. Logan and Jake Paul. If you wanna just see what humanity looks like in in just a terrible form, just go for their Instagram, honestly. Like, Kids don't say this word, but I'm going to say it. They're idiots, okay? They're idiots. And they run around on YouTube and on Instagram, and they break stuff, and they're brash, and they're rude, and they make outrageous, boastful comments, and they've amassed millions and millions of followers, not just terrible times, it's terrible people. And it's easy for us to point fingers like that world out there, those celebrities out there. Yeah, but what about this? This podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's about a church birthed in Seattle, one of the fastest growing churches in America in its time, led by the pastor Mark Driscoll. And the podcast talks about how this church, the fastest growing church in its time, no longer exists. And as, it, as the podcast peels away all the layers, what you begin to see is that there was this culture, this terrible culture within that church. 
Yes, people were being saved. Yes, people were meeting Jesus, but, but there was a lack of character within the church that ultimately led to the end of the church. And, and, yet, and yet this church was lifted up. This leader was lifted up. Bob talked about this a couple weeks ago. There are pastor after pastor after pastor who have fallen, fallen from grace, right? They have fallen from their church. Bill Hybels, in his fall, one of the fastest growing churches in his day, Willow Creek, massive, massive church. And yet some, it came up, it bubbled up in, in his leadership that there was some corrupt things going on. There was abuse within that church. There were terrible things happening within the church. So we want to, we want to point the finger, those people out there, I'm saying, no, 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 no. It's, it's in here too. It's in here too. We're in terrible times. There are terrible people and we're part of them. We're part of them. We have terrible within us. Okay, I know this is so encouraging so far. Stay with me, okay. So what should we do? Like, what should we do? Should we pretend it's not terrible? Be like, no, it's not terrible, Brian. You're just, come on, man, be more positive. No, should we do that? Should we, oh, woe is me. Should we just give up on things? Ah, it's it's all gonna burn anyway. What, What should we do? What should we do in terrible times? I have two simple suggestions uh, that I'm pulling from Paul on. Two simple suggestions and one big idea for us to consider. So two simple suggestions. The first simple suggestion is, in terrible times, don't be with terrible. Don't be with terrible. Here's what I'm saying. Your mama was right. That's what I'm saying. Your mama was right. You become like the people you surround yourself with. When mama said, hey, be careful who you hang out with, she was right. When mama said, when mama said, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? And you were like, no, that was a lie. Because you probably would. You probably would. In terrible times, we don't surround ourselves with more terrible. We don't hang out with terrible. So, so there's tons of data around this. One of the more interesting studies that I ran to, into was Dr. David McClelland of Harvard University did a 25-year study on the characteristics of success and failure. And he found that the single most important factor in a success or failure of an individual was their reference group. By reference group, this is what they said. Your reference group is made up of the people whom you habitually associate and identify with. These are the people with whom you live, work, and interact with on a daily basis. See, you become who you surround yourself with. You become who you surround yourself with. And so we don't surround ourselves with terrible. You're like, boy, that doesn't sound very Jesus-y, Brian. Like, uh, like you, don't, you don't know him like I know, like I know him. Like, he, he's gonna love Jesus someday. No, 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 he, like, he might. That's awesome. That's him and Jesus. 
more likely you guys will stop going to church together and move in together because you, you become who you surround yourself with. But, well, yeah, but, but, but Brian, didn't Jesus hang out with the tax collectors? And Yeah, but they wanted him. Does that make sense? They wanted him. Jesus didn't go to the frat party and just get ripped with them. That wasn't the deal. That wasn't what Jesus did. And you're like, no, I'm gonna be the light though. I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna be, no, you're not. You're probably gonna get drunk with them. That's probably what you're gonna do. Seriously. Like, come on. You become who you surround yourself with. Don't take it up with me. Take it up with Paul. Let's go. Come on. Here we go, okay? With this whole list of things, this whole list of proud, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, without love. So what do we do, Paul? Okay, look, it says this at the end of this verse five. Have nothing to do with such people. <laughs> like, that's pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty clear. Now, I'm not giving you an excuse to be a bad neighbor. I'm not. I'm not giving you permission to not love those people that Jesus has put in your life, that he has put in your life so that you might minister to them and you might help lead them to I'm not saying that. You have been called to live on mission, to be a light in the darkness, to live in such a way that people who don't know Jesus, who are far from Jesus, are attracted to Jesus. I'm not giving you an excuse. What I am saying is you need to be really wise and really smart and really careful. Paul is saying this to Timothy because Paul knows what's at stake. He doesn't want Timothy to get swayed here. He doesn't want Timothy to get off track here. Paul knows that Timothy is planting churches, investing in leaders, helping the kingdom of God come to earth, right? He's got a big mission and he doesn't want Timothy to be distracted. And Jesus doesn't want you or me to be distracted either. He doesn't want us wasting our time pretending that we're stronger than we actually are and surrounding ourselves with people that are dragging us down rather than helping us get closer to Jesus. He's, he's warning. He's warning us. He's warning Timothy. Have nothing to do with them. Don't be with terrible. And he gives some very clear pictures of what that looks like. So he talks about these strange characters, right? Giannis and Yambres, who opposed Moses. So he gives these two examples. He says to Timothy, hey, you remember Giannis and Yambres? And we're like, no, I don't, okay? Um, well, well, here's the story of Giannis and Yambres. So rewind back to Exodus. Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible. There's this story that's pretty timeless. Even if you haven't been around church very much, you may have heard the story already. God's people were in slavery in Egypt, okay? And Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. You're like, I've seen that movie at least. Okay, good, all right, you're with me, right? Let my people go. And when he goes to Pharaoh, there's one little part of the story, it's very interesting. Uh, he has this conversation, Moses has this conversation with God and says, hey, how can, I, 
how can I let them know that I'm coming in your name and, and show your power? And he says, hey, look, look what you have in your hand. You have the staff in your hand. And so one of the things that Moses does is when he's with Pharaoh to display God's power to Pharaoh is that he puts the staff down on the ground and it turns into a snake, okay? And there's these two magicians that are there with the Pharaoh at the same time. Most believe it's Giannis and Yambres that are there with the Pharaoh and they go, we can do that too. And they take these sticks that look like sticks, they throw them on the ground and they turn into snakes. Problem is, Moses' snake eats their snakes. It's like, hey, hey, that's how my God rolls, right? So Giannis and Yambres are these very direct characters within this story that Paul is warning Timothy about. He's saying, listen, there are deceptive, deceptive people who want to steal away the people of God. That's who Giannis and Yambres are. They're deceptive people who want to steal away the people of God, who want to keep the people of God enslaved, not allow them to understand that they are free, not allow them to understand that grace has been freely given, but to keep dragging them back using magical spells to drag them back down into the deep instead of living in the light, living in the goodness and grace of Jesus. So Paul is giving a warning to Timothy saying, remember that story? You're going to deal with similar things and I need you to be so wise. I need you to pay attention to who you're surrounding yourself with. And I need you to pay attention in particular, he says this, to those who have folly in their life or foolishness in their life. This is, this is how he ends that section. But they, he's speaking of this Giannis and Yambres, and then also those who are trying to steal away the people of God, but they will not get very far because it, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. If you're starting to wrestle with this, hey, who should, I, who should I surround myself with? I would say this, look at their fruit. Look at their fruit. What I mean by fruit is this, what comes out of their life naturally? Like there is bad fruit and there is good fruit. Jesus was very, very clear on this. He said, you'll know the bad tree by its bad fruit and you will know the good tree by its good fruit. And out of the overflow of someone's heart, that's where his mouth speaks. So, so if you look around at the people that you're surrounding yourself with and their fruit is destruction and mayhem and they've got a body, a, a pile of bodies in their wake, that is not good fruit. And they are not people you should surround yourself with. You should minister to them, yes. You should be a light to them, but you should not surround yourself with them. On the other hand, if there are people that boy, they just lift the room every time they walk in. Like they make people feel so valued and so loved and so encouraged. And they talk to you about Jesus and they ask you about the deep things of your soul. That, that's who you want to surround yourself with. You, 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 if you're like, how do I learn how to be a better parent? Don't go look at all the bad parents. Right? Like if you're like, that parent, I, like it's a bad deal, man. Like they don't, they don't even seem to like their kid. Go find somebody that likes their kid. Serious. Parenting's super hard. Super hard. But like at least find somebody that likes their kid and is shepherding them to Jesus. Not perfect, 
I'm not doing it perfect. If they're doing it perfect, they're a liar. So don't worry about it. Somebody who's honest about their parenting. You, you, you want to look up to somebody who, who's not a lover of money. Right? This is a hard one, you guys. This is a hard one because I actually think we love money. And so we're like, oh. But what is the fruit of what they do with the money that God has given them? Is it all about more and excess and me? Or is it about what, I've, what I can give back? How I can build the kingdom of God? How I can use what God has given me in a way that I recognize that it's just a gift that I get to keep giving to others. You've got to do some fruit work with those you're surrounding yourself with. And, and you've, got to, you've got to do some fruit work around yourself. Okay, So I picked, on ev- I picked on all the other people. So you were like, yeah, yeah, I hope they're hearing this sermon. Now it's our turn, my turn, your turn, okay? Don't be with terrible. Suggestion number two, don't be terrible. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm lowering the bar a little bit. <laughs> like, hey, church, it's terrible out there. Just don't be terrible. You can do this. Like, I feel, I feel encouraged. I think I could hit that mark this week, okay? Like, I'm serious. We have to do some work here. Some real honest soul searching that, that we're not being terrible. That we that we're living, into, we're living into the freedom of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, that, that, that what he has done for us compels us into something different. We have to do some soul searching. We have to look at this list. Look at it with me. People will be lovers of themselves. You have to take an inventory. Like, Do, do I love myself or do I love Jesus and love others? Like, what do I love more? Do I actually believe Jesus is enough? Where I'm like, nah, Jesus, you're not enough. I'm, I'm like, I gotta take care of myself. Nobody's gonna take care of myself except for me, right? Or is it recognizing like, when Jesus says, abide in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's not talking in a metaphor. He's saying, I've, I've got everything you need. Absolutely everything you need. Do you believe that? Do you live that? Or, or are you like, ah, I need to chase after loving myself? Lovers of money. Once again, challenging to us. Like, how do we view our finances? How do we view what God has given to us in our financial picture? Does your attitude ebb and flow with your checkbook balance? Can we say it that way? Like, that's a good fruit test. Like, oh, I love Jesus because I got a lot of money right now. Oh, I don't have any money. Now I don't like Jesus very much. Like, right? Like, do some self-work here. Am I boastful? Am I proud? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll go first. I, this is where I struggle. Because listen, I have a stage. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. I'm elevated, lights. There's a, there's a haze machine back there. I could be like, and thus saith the Lord, right? Like, any, any pastor worth his salt, okay, should be honest and say they have some pride things they're working on. Like you don't stand up here on an elevated stage every week speaking on behalf of God himself and have some pride issues, okay? If you got pastors around that don't think they have a pride issue, be careful with that pastor, I'm just telling you, okay? Because this guy, I got it. And I have to check my heart 
all the time. I have to not be terrible. I have to recognize that I have, I have terrible within me, you guys. So do you. It's the part that we need redeemed, renewed, made right with Jesus, only by his blood shed on the cross for us, only by him rising from the grave to give us newness in him. But we need to bring that to him. We need to be honest about that and say, I don't wanna be terrible anymore, Jesus. Do something in me that only you can do. Are you terrible? Are you boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient? Disobedient to your parents? parents some parents should be like, amen. Hey, nudge, nudge. Okay, no, don't do that. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good. Where are you in there? What do you need to say, this is terrible, and I need Jesus to redeem it? So don't be with terrible, don't be terrible. And I wanna give you one big idea as we close out. It's this. I want you to fight the good fight and I want you to be better than just ter- terrible, than better than just not terrible. I want you to live noble lives in terrible times. I actually think terrible times will ebb and flow. You'll, you'll feel it more sometimes than others. Some of you are going through terrible times right now in like really, really tangible ways. Um, some of you are like, I, I don't feel that terrible. It will come. Terrible times will ebb and flow, but what do you do in the middle of it? You gotta live a noble life. This is what Paul, this is, what Paul is compelling us to. When I was reflecting upon nobility this week, I thought, what, is, what does it look like to be noble? What does it look like to be noble? And, and three kind of pictures came to mind. One is, nobility is something we use in reference to kings and queens, In a few moments here, we're gonna be singing to the king of kings. And sometimes when I'm baptizing, especially kiddos, I'm like, hey, your father is the king of kings. And that makes you a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. That that makes you nobility. Do you know what nobility does? It lives at a higher level. So, So I want, just ponder that for a moment. Nobility lives in a different way, in a higher way. Okay, I'll give you some redneck analogies. This is fun. Okay. Like, like it's like, hey, are you going to have a PBR or are you going to have an 18-year scotch? Like, I know, some of you lost it there. I get it, I get it. You're like, drinking, you should look at the first part of this, Brian. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Okay, let me give you a different one. Would you rather have filet mignon or ground beef? Okay? Like, would you rather go to the greatest steakhouse in the world or a fast food joint? Which one, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying live, live at a higher level. I'm saying God has greater, grander, richer things for you. If you engage deeply into relationship with other Christians, it is so rich. You're not missing out on sin, you guys. Can I just try to convince you of that? Like sin wasn't the good old days, okay? Sin wasn't the good old days. The good old days are ahead of you when you are in relationship with Jesus and relationship with one another. 
I am not sitting here pining about the guys that got drunk downtown on Friday because I'm going out this afternoon to be with my family. And we're going to sit around and celebrate all of our birthdays. And my father-in-law is going to sit at the head of the table and tell us how proud he is and how much he loves us and how grateful he is that we all know Jesus. And guess what? That'll be an eternal table. Like you can have your Friday night. I got an eternal table. I'm going with that. At a higher level. That's what nobility does. Another thing that nobility does, it lives in an honorable way. Like, are our lives honorable? They hold like a sense of worth and honor because we're responding to the honored one. Because he is honorable, we then mirror that. We say we honor each other, we see each other as image bearers of Christ. We live in honorable ways. We live in ways with great character within us. So we live like a higher plane, an honorable life. And here's the third thought I had about nobility. They're battle ready. I like this because it's in our series. Fight the good fight, right? Be strong. So I, I go to this gym and, and um, I must confess, I wasn't there much this week. So um, I'll come back, guys. I promise. Okay. Um, it's just like confession. Whew, that feels good. Okay. Um, I go to this gym and one of their shirts, one of their slogans, it says, stay dangerous. And I just love it. I love that. Like I love, like you guys, there is a battle to be fought. There is a war to be waged. There are powers and principalities that are bent on our destruction. And our, our weapons, our prayer, our weapons, our scripture, our weapons, our worship, our weapons, our community with one another. And the enemy has nothing to say about that. Kings and queens, they protect their kingdom. And we are called to protect the kingdom of God, to fight for the kingdom of God, to be battle ready. And maybe a little dangerous. Here's how Paul teaches Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 13. You, however, you, however, this is different. You're not like that. Listen to this. You, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my suffering. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Is your faith worthy of persecution? It's one of the thoughts that I had reading through this. Is my, is my faith worthy of persecution? I'm gonna need to think about that a little bit. I'm gonna need to think about if my faith is battle ready, if my faith is this faith that he is describing right here, sound in doctrine a way of life that follows after Jesus, a purposeful life, 
a faithful life, a patient life, a life of love and endurance. This is what Timothy is being called to. And this is what we're being called to. Like, think about this. Do you want to surround yourselves with people who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, on and on and on? Or do you want to surround yourself with people who know about Jesus' teaching, his way of life, his purpose, his faith, his patience, his love, his endurance? Do you want to surround yourselves with which one? Which one do you want to surround yourself with? And then, and then which one are you? Which one are you? As a, not as a works righteous but as a responsiveness to Jesus, right? As a responsiveness to that he gave it all, do you respond to him by saying, I'm going to live a life of faith and patience and love and endurance, a life that is worthy, is worthy of persecution? And I wanna give you some examples of this so you, so you can take some tangible steps this week, Okay. Bob's been referencing quite a bit uh, an author named David Kinnaman in his book, uh, Faith for Exiles. And Kinnaman also wrote another book called Good Faith. Highly recommend it. Go grab that on Amazon. Um, he gives five countercultural ways for us to live that I think can give us a moment here to reflect upon what God might stirring, be stirring up in us to live a noble life in response to him. So find something in here, find a nugget in here that you can like think about and work on this week, all right? Number one, commitment to scripture. You wanna be with people who are committed to this book and you wanna be a person who's committed to this book. Find somebody whose book is falling apart, okay? Find somebody who needed to tape it back together a few times and there's a lot of, there's a lot of like scribbles and pictures and things and question marks and awesome stuff in here. We need to be committed to the scriptures, that Jesus is revealed in the scriptures, that we follow this so that it may shape our lives together, that the spirit may guide how we live as we read this book together, committed to scripture, committed to each other. Bob's been hitting this throughout the series really hard. Committed to each other. Like one of the tangible ways around here, are you in a journey community? Do you have do you have other people around you that you're committed to? Are you united with them? That is a, a noble way of living. You, you can't take anything with you, but some of your relationships are gonna come with you. Okay, number three. We can offer the world a countercultural rhythm of life. You're doing it right now. Sunday, Sabbath. You can say, hey, I'm gonna actually live six days of work and then on the seventh day, I'm going to rest. I'm gonna have different rhythms of life and people might ask me about that and, and I, I gotta have a, probably a decent answer to say like, no, I, in, on this day, I live a little different. I slow down. I, I listen a little bit more to what God might have to say to me. I read my Bible. I, I'm not in a hurry I intentionally try to put worry and distraction aside and, and I, I try to listen for the voice of God. I, I stop my work because I know that I'm not my work, that I, I'm not what I do, but that I am whose I am. So, so maybe we offer a counterculture rhythm. Number four, 
we should offer countercultural ways of dealing with technology. Um, we should be the best at putting our phones away. Seriously. We should be the best at knowing technology is a tool that we use, but it doesn't use us. So, so like, we should be the ones that when our friend needs to have that conversation with us, we take our phone and we put it away so we can be fully present in that moment, looking each other eyeball to eyeball, being present with one another. We should be countercultural in this way. And number five, uh, stewardship. That's a funky uh, churchy word. Okay, let me debunk it. So um, what do you do with what God has given you? The way we talk about it here is, what do you do with your time, your talent, your treasure, and your plans? How do you live a noble life in a terrible time? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, we respond to you. God, I pray, uh, even in this hard, like, challenging message, that you would help us uh, to understand how to do that well. I pray that you give us really practical steps in front of us in, in living for you, the King of Kings. Um, and, and God, I, I pray that you'd help us um, as we wrestle with uh, where that even is coming from. I pray that you would silence, um, silence any voice that isn't yours. Uh, that what we do would come out of a deep place of who we are and a deep place of knowing that we belong to you. Jesus, I thank you that um, we get to be together this morning that you are here in our midst, that we're participating in something eternal and, and, and that this, this moment, God, this moment is noble, no matter how terrible the things are around. We worship you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.